We're going to spend some time now looking at the scriptures together. Every week, if you come here, we like to look at the scriptures. We believe that the Bible itself speaks with the authority and the relevance of Jesus. And so we want to unpack the story as the scriptures tell us. We're going to be, since it's Easter, we're going to be in John chapter 20 and 21 today. It's a little sidetracked from where we've been. We're going back to a Roman series, just marching through the book of Romans. We'll be back there next week. But today we'll be in John chapter 20 and 21. Uh, It can be found on page, somebody tell me, in the Black Bibles, I forgot to write it down, 906, 906, 907 in the Black Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to grab one of those, then you can follow along with us. Page 906, 907, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20 and 21, and we're calling it this morning, React to the Resurrection. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the death and resurrection of Jesus and then how his early disciples struggled with that. Um, they were not any more gullible than you and I. These were ordinary people that lived in the same world that you and I live in, where when people die, they stay dead. And that's what we understand, and that's what they understood. So their world was rocked by this whole resurrection, and you see them then reacting to it, and you see Jesus specifically challenging them, Jesus giving them some orders. And so I believe as we look at how these different kinds of people react in different ways, that will give us a window into how God wants us to react to the resurrection of Jesus. Um, A few months ago, back in the summer, we were having a serious wasp problem at our house. Any of you have these wasps that build nests under the eaves and stuff? Yeah, they can be really bad. And so my wife was cleaning up a part of the backyard, kind of one corner of it that I'd I'd let get kind of junky, and she was cleaning that up, but just kept seeing wasps swarm around and doesn't like to get stung by wasps, right? So uh, we have that stuff that you can spray. It shoots like 700 feet, you know what I'm talking about? And you can spray the wasps and not get too close. We tried that, and then the next day it seemed like they were coming back. We found some, some uh, nests under the eaves of our house. We knocked those down, sprayed them. Next day we still were seeing wasps. And so um, I got out there, and I made a little torch with some fire. And she had been working around this playhouse, and I noticed that hidden inside the old rotten playhouse that we had built years ago, there were some wasp nests in there. So I burned some of those wasp nests with my my little torch, right? Next day we come back, more wasps. We were like, where are these things coming from? We can't figure it out, right? And so I get a bug bomb. Have you all ever seen these bug bombs? They're like these little cans, and you can set them off, and you push the little tab, and they spray, and they can just like spray for hours. I left it overnight in the playhouse, and under some of this junk and out and around the yard to get rid of the wasps. Come back the next day, the wasps are back. Like, something is not right. These are mutant wasps or something. I couldn't figure it out. I'm working in the yard that day, and so I'm like, okay, I'm going to burn them one more time, and I'm going to search this playhouse because there's probably some places they're hiding in the cracks. So I go around, I burn some more nests, I knock all the rest I can find down, and then I say, I'm going to be really thorough. So I grab a broom. And I'm literally just whacking the playhouse, walking around inside, outside, whacking it, hitting it, just to make sure I didn't miss any, right? I had some errands to run, and I thought, okay, I'm just going to let it lie for a little while. I think I got them all. I'll go run my errands. I'll come back in an hour, re-inspect, see if we got all the wasps. So I go to run uh, some errands. I'm dropping off an auto part to get fixed. And as soon as I drop it off, I get back into my car. I pick up my phone, and there's a text message. Actually, there's three text messages from my wife, and it says, fire, fire department here, playhouse on fire. And of course, my heart starts beating fast, and I 
text back real fast. You know, I'm like, uh, coming. And I jump in the car. I, I race towards the house, right? Um, and I notice also while I'm, you know, driving, I don't always do this, but I notice I had a voicemail. And so I'm listening to the voicemail while I'm driving. Um, and it's my wife, again, on the voicemail telling me there's a fire. She's saying it very loudly and very quickly on the voicemail, screaming, fire, fire, uh, help, oh my, the, the house is on fire, Say, you know, saying that, saying other things as well. And then I'm like, oh no, my heart's just beating. It was just like the worst, worst feeling in the world, right? So I race back to the house. I see kind of like sizzling smoke around our house. I, I pull up and thankfully the fire department has gotten it mostly out. There was like one more distant part of the yard they found that was on fire and they had to get the hose back out and put it back up. But, but basically the fire department had made it. They figured out uh, what the source was. Uh, somehow the playhouse had just... One of those wasp nests kept burning, and the playhouse burned down. And so my playhouse was completely burned down. Um, our fence was completely burned down. Uh, half of the weight bench next to the playhouse was melted. Uh, my 1983 Honda Spree scooter that someone had given me that I'd been working on was completely gone, like just like a puddle of metal and plastic. Uh, my neighbor's tree was burned down, actually Three of my neighbor's trees were burned down. My neighbor's air conditioning unit was kind of like a little bubbly, like it was starting to melt. Their window had cracked. It was pretty bad. It was a pretty bad fire. And when something important, something scary like that happens, we're all reacting, right? There's, a, there's an important reaction that should take place. Um, we had some friends that were playing tennis nearby, and they saw smoke coming up from our neighborhood, and they told their coach, at the tennis club, hey, you should call 911. I'm so thankful that they reacted in the moment, right? Because the fire department got there very quickly. Because my wife didn't know the house was burning down when she was inside, she couldn't hear it. And then someone came, someone pulled over, saw it, and banged on our door and said, your house is on fire, There's, your fence is on fire, right? And she grew up in a neighborhood where, you know, when someone's banging on your door, you don't necessarily answer it, right? So she was kind of scared, but he was like, you know, pointing and, uh, you know, yelling. And so thankfully she reacted and answered the door and he said, there's a fire. So then she reacted and she woke up my son and screamed at him, fire, fire, fire. He runs down in his pajamas and grabs a garden hose and he reacts. He starts putting the fire out, right? Some other guy, just some soldier driving by, grabs another garden hose from the neighbor and they're putting it out and the fire department gets there and they finished putting it out, everybody reacted well in that moment. And when something really important happens, we should react. We should react. Now, after all, it was really horrible. It was really scary. The Boy Scouts actually took away my Eagle Scout Award for that one. Um, but I figured, you know, at least we got the wasps, right? So that, I mean, that was look on the bright side, right? Well, in the story today, we've got this horrendous thing, really a thousand times worse than your house almost burning down, right? But much, much worse. They'd been following someone they loved, this great teacher who was different than any other teacher they'd heard before. They'd been following this Jesus who not only taught with authority, not like the teachers they'd known, but he also healed people. And they just knew something was different. They understood him to be the Messiah, which means the special anointed king and leader of the Jewish people. Prophecies had been written about him, and his followers were convinced that he was the man. And so they were following him, and that week was Passover week when the Jews celebrated that God had saved them from the world's greatest empire, Egypt. And now they're under the next world's greatest empire, Rome. 
And so they're thinking, he's going to save us. Just like God saved us before from Egypt, this guy, this Jesus is going to become king. We've seen him do miracles. He's this great teacher. He knows the Old Testament scriptures, and he's going to be this king that will set us free from the oppressive boot of Rome. And so when he comes into the city, people are throwing down palm branches and throwing down their robes and their cloaks as he comes in, and they're praising him as the king. And everything in their minds is moving towards, this is going to happen. It's going to be it. But you and I, we both know the, the end of that story, right? The Jewish leaders get more and more angry at him, and they actually put him to death. They bring up false charges against him. They convince the Romans to help, and the Romans and the Jewish leaders crucify him. Crucifixion was an unusually horrible kind of execution. It was the kind of execution that the Romans would do to just clarify to everyone that you don't want to die in this way. It was cruel. It was torturous. He was whipped. The flesh was ripped off of his back. And then he would have to carry his own cross on that back that had been ripped open. And then he would be nailed to that cross, nails going through his hands and his feet. And when you died on the cross, you died not just from bleeding, but you actually died in something like uh, suffocation or drowning because you couldn't breathe properly as you were hanging on that cross. And so they watched this unfold. His followers saw everything burned down, everything that they'd invested in, it was, it was gone. And that's where we pick up the story. They're, they're heartbroken. They think it's all over with. Again, these were not gullible, fairy tale believing people. These were people like you and me. When someone dies, they're dead. And so that's where we pick up the story in John chapter 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Sunday, that's why we worship on Sunday. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. What that means is they had a giant stone, which is almost like a stone wheel. They would roll in front of the cave door. And then not only that, we know from other gospel accounts that they were afraid that someone would steal the body. And so they sealed it. The Romans put a seal and a guard over it so that no one would steal the body. And so this stone had now been moved away. So she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. It's John that wrote this. He's just always like, Jesus loves me, right? That's a good thing, but it sounds kind of funny in the story. So the one who Jesus loved. And they said to him, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Tell a man wrote this story, right? He's like, I won the race. I got there first, okay? Peter's getting old and rickety. John was a little younger. He made it there quicker. And it says, verse 5, And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. This is John, the fast one, but maybe more shy. Verse 6, Then Simon Peter came, following him, and he went into the tomb. Peter's always the bold one, right? Peter's always the, the pushy one. Peter goes into the tomb. He went in the tomb, he saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Well, why is this important? Well, grave robbers robbed graves all the time in these days, and the reason they would rob graves is that people would put precious things with the dead body, but also just the uh, essential oils that they would use and wrap the body in all these linens. It would be pounds and pounds and pounds of very expensive essential oils and perfumes, which were very precious commodity in this day. So they would wrap the body in this. So the grave robbers would steal all of that together 
really essentially so they could have those oils and those linens. They weren't really that excited about the dead body, right? And so the author notes that the linens were all taken off and folded neatly. Well, that, that doesn't look like a grave robber. That looks like something else is happening. Verse 7, or excuse me, verse 8. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, the fast one, right, also went in. And he saw, it says, and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So he's saying, finally he believed. Because before that, they didn't believe. Before that, they were like you and me. And they were like, people don't rise from the dead. That just doesn't happen. But now they'd seen the evidence. And he says, they believed. And then a a funny little postscript, verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Then the disciples went back. It's like, okay, and then they made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know, it's like, shouldn't you do more with your life here? And, and that's, that's where the story's now going to pick up after that. It's kind of like they didn't know what to do, but then the story's going to tell us more. And so we're going to look at three people, how they reacted then to the resurrection. Again, people like you and me who were skeptical. We're like, I've never seen this happen before. And they reacted and Jesus challenged them. And he said, now go live differently because of this Resurrection. So I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to teach us as we look at these three characters as it unfolds. We're going to look at Mary Magdalene, how she reacts. We're going to then look at Thomas, doubting Thomas. You may have heard of him. And then we're going to end with Peter, coming back to Peter in the end. So let me pray for us and we'll look at those three characters. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of Jesus. And we pray that it would change us. Father, I pray for those that are here that know the story, that they would be renewed in hope. And that as we review this story, that you would help us to react properly, that you would use us in the world to bring your love and justice to those around us, to our communities. And Father, I pray for those that don't believe. I ask, Lord, that you would help them to to be uh, open-minded, to ask good questions, to consider, to not be closed-minded, but to consider the story and to consider you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first character I want us to look at now after this resurrection has taken place, is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was this character who we're told in the book of Luke, and she's mentioned in a few other places, had actually had seven demons cast out of her. Um, So I don't know about you. I'm not real familiar with people that are demonized. I haven't been around that a lot, but it it sounds scary, right? Sounds kind of scary. Sounds kind of weird. And so she had been through some rough stuff. You would say she was a rough character. She was a woman with a rough background. She had been through hard things. Some of you, I think, can relate to that. You might not say, yeah, Dave, I've been demonized, but, but you may have been through some horrible things. You may have grown up and seen things that you wish you hadn't seen, been abused in ways you wish you hadn't been abused, been hurt in ways you wish you hadn't been hurt. And Mary Magdalene is one of those kinds of people. And so here we have Mary Magdalene, who had been through these horrible things, but Jesus had set her free. Jesus had set her free, and that was in her past. Now she was moving forward. And she loved Jesus dearly. As we look at her story, as the story continues in chapter 20, there's a word that is repeated four times. And so if you look at your Bibles, there's a paragraph that says, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. And in that section, verses 11 through 